We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is going on, Pacer Nation? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. We have two special guests on today's show. In segment one, you'll be hearing our interview with Kevin Bowen from 1070 The Fan. And in segment two, you'll be listening to our interview with Keith Smith from Yahoo Sports as we get you all geared up for that Pacer Celtics series that starts at 1 o'clock on Sunday. Make sure you check out our Twitter page at SettingThePace3. Give us a follow. Hope you guys like the new hype video that we just put up. But... With that being said, I'm going to get out of the way and let you guys enjoy today's episode with our two great guests, Kevin Bowen and Keith Smith. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to episode 25 here at Setting the Pace. The official regular season is over, and we are ready to jump into everything playoffs. And joining us from 1070 The Fan, he has a great Colts podcast, a little bit of Pacer sprinkled into it. It's called Kevin's Corner. Kevin Bowen joining us today. Kevin, what's going on, man? What's up, guys? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So uh, I'll start things off. We have our, our normal three uh, guys of the here today, Mike Focci, Tyler Smith as well. They'll be joining us in this podcast. So I'm going to start things off. Uh, Pacers, you know, starters played on Sunday, but did they really because that was a terrible performance against Brooklyn? Uh, a, lot of, a lot of heavy minutes for the guys this season, but they set out Wednesday night. We saw a fun game last night with a bunch of the young guys playing. Uh, Collison was there a little bit, trying to get his legs ready for the um, for the playoffs after his injuries that he had the week prior. So, how big of a key do you think that resting the starters and having these guys healthy heading into the playoffs is uh, for a series against Boston? Yeah, I thought Nate probably handled it pretty well down the stretch. I maybe would have left the starters in there a little bit longer on Sunday, just with how disappointing. Uh, they played on Friday against Boston and even the early stretch of that Nets game. Um, I thought it was key to play Collison on Wednesday night. That that had to happen. What was he, two of like 13, I want to say it was, on Sunday. And given how much time he's missed over the past week or two, 
Uh, but guys like Boyan and Thad, I mean, they need fresh legs. And I think the Pacers do benefit from getting this extra day here with that mm-hmm. series not starting on Sunday. Then you don't even come back and play until Wednesday, which I think is nice as well before the series gets a little bit more of a every other day sort of feel to it. Um, so, yeah, I thought Nate probably handled it um, how he should have. You know, for, for me, it's one of these things where given, you know, how much Boyan plays in the summer and how much Thad ha- has played at, at his age, um, I think that was probably the right the right thing to do. Yeah, Kevin, I want to get your uh, thoughts on Marcus Smart. Um, the big news is he will probably be missing the first round or maybe even the first two rounds for Boston. Uh, how much do you think his absence is going to impact the series? He's obviously really important to what they want to do. Um, he's not as important as you know Oladipo would be to the Pacers, but still important for them. Uh, do you think his absence gives the Pacers you know, like another win in the series? Does it give the Pacers a, a chance to actually win the series, or do you still expect – uh, Boston to kind of have their way with Indiana. I think it's a huge loss. I mean, I would put Marcus Smart. What you probably put their most important players as Kyrie Horford. Um, you know, Tatum or Brown would be thrown into that mix. But Marcus Smart just does things that I don't think they have that immediate plug and play guy. Like let's say Jason Tatum gets hurt, you know, tomorrow in practice or something, boom, they have guys like Brown and Hayward that do a lot of similar things to Tatum. Tatum's an incredible talent, but I just don't think they have that immediate guy that gives them what smart gives them. Uh, I mean, just popping the film from last Friday, what he did against Boyan and the defensive blue collar mentality that he brings. uh, There's a reason that guy has a jump shot. That's about as good as mine and and consistently (laughs) can play the amount of minutes that he, that he does. You know, he, he brings it um, on the defensive end of the floor. And I thought he was really, really key in, um, you know, holding Boyan to the to the sort of outing that he had um, last Friday at Banker's Life Fieldhouse. So w- when I look at the series as a whole, I, I guess I'm probably still definitely going to go with Boston. But I do think this is just an interesting storyline um, to keep an eye on, to see how Boston decides to defend um, bogey and just what the trickle down effect is on their defensive rotations for a team that really doesn't have, you know, any sort of, you know, menacing rim protector. Um, but yeah, I, I would probably think that it gets the Pacers maybe another win, but I don't know if that's enough to push them uh, to win the series. Hey, Kevin, uh, Fachi here. I was wondering, Boston depth is something that's known going into the series. Obviously, it takes a hit with Marcus Smart not being there, but who's perhaps an X factor, a guy that many aren't expecting that can really step up in this series for the Pacers that might be able to potentially squeeze out an extra win or even get us to the second round? Well, when I look at what Indiana has to do in the series, I think you have to have to have your big guys play certainly better than Boston's and play at an all-star level. You know, Miles Turner, we, we don't need to rehash how poor he played last year in the playoffs. Um, he has got to be at an all-star level in the next two weeks. And DeMontis has to be right there, too. Um, I think that's the biggest advantage on paper you could potentially see is that the Pacers have these traditional, more traditional bigs, um, or, or at least just two guys that they like to play through. And, and throw Thad Young into that group as well, although you're probably not running a lot of offense for Thad. Uh, but I think that's the biggest advantage that the Pacers could have over Boston. So I guess Miles and Domas, you wouldn't really call them X-Factors. You're probably looking for more of the 
under-the-radar guy, but I think that is the part of the game that I think um, Indiana has to control. I think they have to take advantage of Kyrie Irving on the defensive end of the floor. Um, it seems like that's something they've tried to go to here this season, you know, make Kyrie Irving defend. And when he is on a smaller guy, whether that's Wesley Matthews or Bogey, you immediately go to the post and try to play through the, the, that post. I think that is a key element in this series. Um, you know, cut, coming off the bench, I mean, yeah, I mean, if you could replicate what Tyreek Evans did last night, <laughs> that would be golden. Um, but I'm not sold on, on any of that really happening. So, you know, bench guys, I just don't know how much, you know, Corey or Tyreek um, or, or, or even Doug, you know, how big of a difference they can be. I, I really settle on just can you control the paint? Can you play at, at more of a pace that um, it, it might have more of a half-court feel to it uh, because I think tr- transition defense has been an issue for the Pacers when they played Boston this season. I'm a firm believer that Wesley Matthews' defense, and if he can maybe even go off and give us 20 in a game, I really do think that could be all the difference. So that's one guy I would love to see kind of be able to really you know, be on his game defensively and hopefully lock up Kari. Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a probably fair one. I'll, I'll throw Wesley Matthews in as the X factor. I think, um, you know, I'd have to crunch the numbers a little bit more, but I feel like he's been a little bit more inconsistent here lately. Um, but, you know, when they do go a little bit smaller, if there are lineups where it's Terry Rozier and Kyrie playing in that, in that same lineup, um, that is something that I feel like Matthews can, you know, certainly hit that open jump shot, but can you play through him? when those switches do happen in the post. And on the defensive end of the floor, you know, his ability to guard Kyrie is, is, is going to be paramount um, because, you know, we all watched the game a couple weeks ago in the garden when, you know, late game situations arise, they have a closer that Indiana doesn't have anywhere close to that. So uh, I think you have to make someone else beat you other than Irving. Irving had a great first quarter last Friday at Banker's Life and then boom, the floodgates open when, you know, Tatum made some big plays and, and obviously Gordon Hayward had a huge, huge night. So, Kevin, a question I wanted to ask you is about this rotation the Pacers have. Um, you know, with their with their normal rotation, they have about nine guys. But in a playoff series, you know, you can have foul trouble. You know, you can have guys get hurt. But you can also have guys just not perform. So what, what expectations are you uh, – getting from Nate McMillan for the rotation as far as it goes with uh, who he plays and what the situation is. Yeah. I mean, knowing Nate, you know, part of me thinks he's going to be pretty stringent on that nine man group. And that would obviously be Joseph uh, Evans, Doug McDermott and Domas coming off the bench, but I would have a very, very short leash on that, uh, on the backcourt and have a close eye on Aaron holiday. You know, I just feel like with where the team is at, uh, from a scoring standpoint, the inconsistencies we've seen on the offensive end of the floor, you have to find that quick burst if there are those lulls come playoff time. And I also think it's key when Kyrie Irving is off the floor, you have to take advantage of that. And I feel like Holiday is a guy that can come in there and you know maybe you don't want him on the floor necessarily to guard Kyrie per se, but you want him on the floor to you know get you a quick six, eight, something like that. And I just don't think you've gotten that um, enough from your bench play, especially in the backcourt. I, I know that's not what Corey Joseph's job is to do, but um, I, I think in the playoff series, 
you know, eventually you are going to have to score. And I think, you know, Holiday is that one guy that you have that, you know, as long as the bright lights of, of the playoffs aren't too big for him, he, he can give you that. Um, I, I know TJ Leaf played really well, um, certainly on Wednesday night in Atlanta and also even a couple weeks ago in Boston, but I, I'm not ready at, at all to put him in, into the rotation come playoff time. So, you know, Nate seems to be a guy that's pretty stringent on his principles and on his beliefs. So I'd be maybe a little bit surprised to see Holiday play a whole lot. But um, given, you know, what you have right now from a roster standpoint, he'd be a guy that, that I would think long and hard about almost inserting into that 10-man group and make that a 10-man group and maybe, you know, limit some of the minutes that you're going uh, to give uh, to some of your guards. And I guess even throw – Darren Collison into that mix. Yeah, you know, I don't think it's a foregone, um, you know, point where it's like, all right, Darren Collison's your starting point guard. He needs to play, you know, 38 minutes or whatever the usual breakdown is for him. I think Collison and Joseph do a lot for you that helps you out big time. But um, I do think Holiday, you know, gives you um, just just more of the microwave sort of mentality, which could really be needed come playoff time. Yeah, Kevin, I was actually going to ask you about holiday is my next question i saw one of your tweets from uh not too long ago you were talking about holiday how he was deserving of minutes uh even when everybody is healthy and i think fans and and media have been kind of split on this but um i'm also in that camp of believing that he deserves some minutes especially on nights when they come out flat offensively and they need a spark so you mentioned that's something that you would do but uh, what does your gut tell you about you know, do you think that he really does get any chance at all in this series? Is it more game by game basis, or do you think we're probably only going to see him if there's a blowout? It's a great, great question. Um, and, and you know Nate McMillan well, and that my opinion probably differs a decent amount from Nate when it comes to how you how he handles a rotation and how willing he is to give a rookie minutes come playoff time. So it is probably going to be something that. It will take foul trouble. It will take, um, you know, an efficient play, um, which certainly could happen given how Tyreek Evans and Corey Joseph have, have played as of late, um, I, and, or, or a blowout. I mean, that's probably what it was going to take. I would be somewhat surprised on Sunday afternoon if Aaron Holiday received, you know, 14, 15 minutes. Um, that would surprise me a bit. Um but, you know, who knows? Maybe Nate looks at his group and, and has – I think you have, have to – maybe this week has had to force them to have very honest conversations with themselves about, all right, you know, beating one legit playoff team in the past, you know, two and a half months since Victor went down, and that was Denver at home. Um, if you're looking at the top five teams in each conference – this is a guy that has played pretty good ball for us down the stretch. Can you find him? Can we find him if you're Nate McMillan talking to your coaches? You know, six to seven minutes in the first half, same thing, you know, maybe in that in that third quarter. Um, and depending how he plays, maybe you, you dial that back a little bit. Uh, you know, maybe that is something that that, that that coaching staff has talked about. But knowing Nate and his history, it's probably going to be more of a nine-man group that's out there on uh, on Sunday. Yeah, you know, we spoke about uh, Darren Collison a little bit, and as you just touched on Aaron Holiday, I mean, after being pretty banged up in two pretty sluggish games where he shot about three for 15, I believe it was, I mean, what kind of Darren Collison can we expect where at least he'll have about roughly, you know, close to a week of rest, but it doesn't look too good. So what can we expect from Darren Collison 
in his first round. Yeah, I think that is that's another key. You know, when you talk about injuries, we're probably focusing a lot on Marcus Smart and, and what the latest is with Jalen Brown for Boston. But you know, for Indiana, I think to have any sort of okay, the series is going six, maybe it's going seven. Collison's got to be steady, and I'm not asking him to be you know 15 and, and eight assists and one turnover. But I think you got to ask him to be you know, can you get to 10 points? Can you shoot? You know, hover right around 45, 50 percent. And, you know, provide six assists and, you know, whatever, one turnover. I think that's something that you have to give your your team. And I think there is a lot of rust there right now. And that's another reason why I kind of grouped him in with, well, I guess you can throw him into the Joseph Evans sort of mix. You know, not to that level, but uh, given his injury and how he's looked since he's come back, um, that is something to where your leash those backcourt guys, in my mind, all of them have to be pretty short. I don't think you look at any of them and sit there and say, all right, that guy, no matter what he's doing on the court over the course of the game, deserves to play his normal minutes. No, I, I don't think that at all. You know, I, I think you've seen even when Carlson and, and Wesley were out for a couple of games, you saw Doug McDermott even getting a little bit look at the, um, at the two guard when you went, a, went bigger. Um, and so I, I'm just, I don't have a ton of confidence in that backcourt group going into the playoffs. That's why I feel like Holiday deserves a look. And that's why I said earlier, ultimately this series for me has to come down to, you know, Boyan giving you what he's given you for the vast majority of the second half of the season. And then also your bigs have got to play at an elite level because there isn't that, you know, Al Horford wants to bring Turner away from the basket. Well, on the other end of the floor, you have an ability to play at the rim. And I know that's not Miles' game, but when Domas is in there, he's got to be the Domas we saw um, for a lot of that Cleveland series last year when I thought he was probably the pace their second best player. Well, I do want to ask you this is my last question. I don't know if the guys have any more, but my last question is you talked about Miles Turner struggling in the playoffs. And when they just gave him the extension at the beginning of the season, and without Oladipo, you know, he's kind of looked at as, you know, one of the, the go-to guys. And I believe Fachi said this on our last podcast with Tony East that Turner's got to be the best player for the Pacers to have a chance in this series. So, um, number one for me, I mean, what what are your expectations for Miles in this in this series? And if he, you know, number one, the question, my second question is if he does fail to, you know, be the player that you would want him to be, do you kind of look at this contract as a uh, as a – as a bad contract extension. And, uh, you know, there's going to be that question that eventually comes between him and Domas. What do the Pacers do? Are they going to keep them both? Are they going to get rid of Turner? Are they going to get rid of Domas? Like what's going to happen? So how big of a factor do you think this playoff series is for, for the future of miles and the Pacers? Well, I, I, let me start here. I I don't think a failed series by him is going to make me think differently of that contract. You know, I think what he proved this season is that he can be one of the best rim protectors in the NBA, and he can still be a pretty consistent offensive score for you. And I don't want, you know, a seven-game series to change my opinion too much on that. Um, you know, I, I think if he doesn't perform, you know, to that level or if he has a similar series like he did last year against Cleveland, then, I, you know, I think maybe it's okay. Is he ever going to get to that all-star level? You know, probably not. But – you know, if I were Nate McMillan last year and that game seven film of what Tristan Thompson did to Miles Turner, I would have had that on a loop all off season long. And I think Miles came back and from a, you know, you know, 
certainly from a rim protection standpoint, he's been one of the best guys in the NBA. His rebound numbers, I think, have even been pretty good as well. You know, there's that whole debate on blocking shots and, and rebounds and all of that. He's been a really good defensive presence for you. And that's, that's the first thing that you need. Uh, that, to me, I think is worth, honestly, $72 million, as long as he's not throwing up, you know, five points on the other end, which he hasn't done this season. But mm-hmm. given where you are with your roster, you need him to give you, you know, 15 a night. I, I, I think that is fair to expect from him in this series. Al Horford is not some elite defender. Aaron Baines is not going to be chasing miles around around the perimeter and, you know, Tice or whoever else. I'm trying to think of the other Boston big guys. Hell, they don't really have a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're very willing to go small. And the Pacers have got to make Boston pay for that. You have that's what you have right now. You know, Kevin Pritchard said a few weeks ago after the Victor injury, you know, he felt like, and this is a little bit I think of Pritchard hyperbole, he feels like Domas and Miles and Thad are right up there with any other big man trio, if you want to throw Thad into that group, in the league. And and I I think a little bit of that of that is an exaggeration, but in this series, that's the advantage the Pacers have. They have guys that can be consistent scoring threats for you, Domas and Miles probably more so than than Thad. And so I think you have to rely on that. Mm-hmm. And I expect Miles to play pretty well, to be honest with you. I think he will have a bounce-back series. Um, and I think just forcing Horford and, and Baines, more, probably more so Horford, if you can get him into some foul trouble, you know, that's going to make Boston a lot more guard-oriented than I think that they want to be. Um, especially without smart. Um, so yeah, we'll see. I, 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 you know, I think calling Miles Turner the most important player in the series for the for the Pacers. I don't think that's that that crazy of a of a statement. I, I think if Miles Turner can be Indiana's best player in this series, that again can go a long way into this series. You know, running into late late April. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kevin. I just have one more question for you as well. Uh, you do a great job covering the Colts and the Pacers both, and uh, so this question, I just want to see your thoughts. Which is more likely to happen, the Pacers take down the Celtics in the first round or the Colts win, let's say, 14 games, including the playoffs next year? What do you got? Ooh, 14, including the playoffs? Including the playoffs, yep. <laughs> Man. They got a tough road schedule. Um, They do. They, they have a really, really tough road schedule. I love the caveat thrown in the playoffs there. I will, I will go with Pacers. Um, I kind of see the Colts winning 11 games and maybe winning two in the playoffs. God, that's a really good question. Man, now you got me thinking. <laughs> it's going to keep me up tonight. Um, I think it's, it's just paramount that, that, that you steal one or two, and I think that can totally shift this series. Um, I think a smart injury is a big thing as well. I, I would, if you're going to make me pick, I'm probably picking Boston in five, maybe six. But I think if you win game one or two, that just does so much for the entire series and I think almost brings it into potentially more of a more of a coin flip. Um but yeah, that is that is a really, really good one. I'll go with the Pacers, but again, if I'm if I'm making a pick on this series, I'm probably taking Boston in right around five games. Awesome, man. Well, you guys can follow <laughs> Kevin on Twitter at KBowen1070. He does a great job for 1070 The Fan. And his uh, his avatar is about eight years old, but 
lots changed since that, Kevin. Uh, I'm, I've been trying. I've been advocating for Kevin to change it. I don't know what I got to do. Uh, I don't think it's ever going to happen, but uh, maybe, uh, maybe one I, day. I think it's nine years old, to be honest with nine? you. Nine? Yeah, oh it's you. <laughs> I, I think it's you, my brother, and my wife are about the three people that constantly berate me on that. I don't know. I mean, you guys are on Twitter a lot. I think it's like a visual. First off, there's a general laziness by me. Second off, I, I, I think there's just a visual recognition with Twitter icons. If someone changes theirs, and this probably says I'm on Twitter too much. If someone changes theirs, like I just keep on scrolling. Well, here's the thing: why, and like, why aren't why aren't you verified? That doesn't make any sense to me. Well, see, I was verified when I worked for the Colts, and then I had to change my Twitter account. Um, and I think when you change you change your name, I don't know people 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 at ten seventy were supposed to help me get ver- verified or handle that process. But yeah. If you, no get, if, if you get verified, I think you can change a picture no matter what. As long as you have that blue check mark next to your name, people are going to know it's you. But, I mean, with without having that blue check mark, you know, I guess the face recognition is, is best for you. But you got to work on that, man. I know, I know. You you think I'm growing up now that I'm turning 30 years <laughs> old here in a few months. You just got married, had your, had your wife on your podcast today. I mean, it's time to change things up a little bit, man. <laughs> it's time to grow up. Bought a house, got married, had the wife on the podcast. You would you, you would think I'm fully there yet. Yeah, maybe for my 30th birthday, maybe I'll uh, I'll decide to change, to change the avatar. All right, all right, I'm all for it. I'll get off this horse, but all right, man. We appreciate you coming on, <laughs> and uh, we'll be enjoying the games with you. We'll talk to you later, man. Thanks, guys. What's going on, Pacer Nation? We are here, segment two. It is just me and Fachi, but we are going to be talking to the one and only Keith Smith from Yahoo Sports. Keith, what's going on, man? Hey, guys. I'm you know, excited to be talking with you. Looking forward to the series getting started in the playoffs as a whole. You know, this is a one of, you know, your basketball fan. This should be about your favorite time of year, and it's finally here. It took a long time to get here this year, but it's here. Is this your favorite matchup in the playoffs, or is there one in the Western Conference that, that tops this one? Uh, geez, that's an interesting question. Um, I I kind of like the Rockets Jazz matchup. I mean, we're about on an island there with about a million other people. Right. Uh, you know, I, I I like that one. It's you know, I cover the Celtics for Celtics blog, so that that you know, obviously pull, pulls my interest that way. But I think that Philly Brooklyn series should be a fun one as well. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So let's talk about it. I I want to just hit this off the top. Um, Marcus Smart. Your best defender, probably going to make the All-NBA defensive team out for the first series, possibly the second. How big of a loss is this for Boston, and who does Boston insert into that starting lineup for uh, Marcus Smart? Yeah, it's huge. It, it's well, One of the things I've been kind of going to, having this conversation a lot in the last 24 hours, is it's not that they can't replace his defense, because they can replace some of it. it they can can replace his offense, although Smart has had his best offensive season by far. He actually shot pretty well from behind the arc this year and, you know, really turned into a, you know, a guy you had to at least guard out there, which is important. What they can't replace is knowing if there's a loose ball, Marcus Smart's coming up with it. If there is a play where you just need someone to make a stop, doesn't matter if it's, you know, a center or a point guard, Marcus Smart's, my Boston accent came out there. Marcus Smart <laughs> is going to make that stop for you. That's, 
that's you know that's what the Celtics are going to miss. It's going to be huge. He's also big at home because he's the guy who gets the crowd going. He is the one who the crowd keys off of most more than anybody else. He's the longest tenured Celtic on the roster. You know, unbelievably, and only is you know this short into his career. So it's it's gonna it's a huge loss as far as how they replace him. The expectation is it'll be Jalen Brown who moves into the starting five. Gordon Hayward has such a good comfort level right now coming off the bench. I don't think they want to mess with that. If they were playing a bigger team like Philly uh, or even Orlando, I think the Celtics would have gone with Marcus Morris back in the starting five. But I but I think they they because the Pacers tend to be a little more um, regular sized, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh-huh. They're, they're going to put Brown in, and I think Brown's their best bet to to take Smart's role as the primary defender on Boyan Gordanovich. Yeah, Keith, that's a great point that you made because Jalen Brown was great in the playoffs last year. And obviously you would want Marcus Smart to be in this series, but the loss of Smart really gives Jalen Brown a big opportunity. Do you think we're going to see the Jalen Brown from last year's playoffs, or is this more of everyone's going to try and pick up the slack that's left with more uh, Marcus Smart being out? Yeah, I think there's a chance we do see that Jalen Brown. He has been he really had a rough start to the year. He mm-hmm. he he wasn't healthy. He was having some problems with his thumb. He was having problems with his wrist. Then he had some back issues. He those back issues came up again about a week or so ago. But Jalen Brown around that, really it was just after Christmas, things all clicked for him. He really took to the bench role he's been in most of the year. He's come in and played really hard with really great energy anytime Stevens puts him in the game. And that that's been really good. And he's, you know, shooting the ball as well as he's ever shot it. So I do think there's a chance we're gonna see the Jalen Brown who really, you know, along with Jason Tatum, those guys are the breakout stars of the postseason last year in the NBA. And I think there's a good chance that Brown is gonna get right back to that level he was at last year. Numbers may not be the same because, you know, Kyrie Irving's back and Gordon Hayward's there, but I do think Brown will play really, really well going into the playoffs. All right, Keith. Give me give me three three things that the Pacers can really attack that Boston struggles at, if there are three. Uh, yeah, the number one thing is they they – they averaged 11 offensive rebounds a game versus Boston in the four regular season matchups, and that's something that I would expect to continue. Celtics just, they're they are not a very good rebounding team. They're about middle of the pack, but there are certain teams they struggle with, teams that are active with length, and the Pacers have that. Uh, really, and they, they have it in spades with Turner and Young and Sabonis, and then even TJ Leaf gave Boston some trouble on the offensive board. So I think think that's probably the, the biggest thing. I do think Bogdanovich will be able to get going more against Brown than he could have against Smart. Brown, while he's a really good defender when he's dialed in, he has this tendency to kind of lose himself in the game he'll ball watch a little bit Bogdanovich is such a smart player because of that reason I think we might see the Pacers play him off the ball a lot more and allow him to let let others set him up and make plays because I think that's the way to attack the Celtics versus having Bogdanovich have the ball in his hands all the time to initiate the offense and then the third thing is you you go at Kyrie Irving right it's the the Pacers don't have great offensive point guard options but you know, maybe you can work those matchups to get Tyreek Evans on him when he's in the game and do those kind of things. Any switches you can get, you're going to target going at Kyrie. So those would probably be the three areas where I think you're going to be looking to attack the Celtics defensively. You, know, you brought up a great point about you know Bogdanovich because 
Bogdanovich only averaged 13 and a half points against Boston this year. It was actually his lowest scoring average against any Eastern Conference team. So going into the series, do you think Celtic fans should be worried about Bogdanovich more? Or is there a player that the Celtics should be fearing as they really need to zone in on maybe a Miles Turner? Or who do you think that player would be? Yeah, if they were healthy, I would say the guy who probably would worry Celtics fans the most is actually Sabonis, because I think you you trust that Smart can cover Bogdanovich and take mm-hmm. him out of the games, and then I think you're you're good with Al Horford guarding Miles Turner. I think you feel pretty confident that he's gonna you know at least hold his own there. So I think Sabonis becomes almost the guy they just don't have an answer for him off the bench. He can really make a lot of things happen, you know. And in I do expect to see. Uh, Stevens do a lot where I would not be surprised at all if he goes to Morris early in games. He'll start Baines, but go to Morris early so then he can match Baines with Sabonis just so they're not getting eaten up. But, you know, to go back to your original question, I do think there's more worry than there was with Bogdanovich because you're looking at it now as you you – Marcus Smart, in a lot of ways, for Celtics fans and and just for the Celtics in general, it's almost like when you have that shutdown corner in football and you know that side of the field is taken care of and we're not worried about it, you kind of feel pretty good. If I put Smart on this guy, that guy's probably taken care of, unless he's one of the true superstars in the NBA. It is good as Bogdanovich is. You just said, you know, 13 and a half points. He's obviously been better than that, than he's played against Boston. But you, you would have felt really good about it. With Brown, there, there is a level of concern there, but it, but I think you still feel like, all right, we'll, we'll be okay. And the other thing is they can throw a lot of different bodies at him. They, you know, Brown will get a chance, Tatum. You could put Hayward on him. You Even Semi Ojale, Marcus Morris, guys like that. Things are really not going your way. So that'll be what it, what it, what it I think mostly will come down to is mixing up the looks on him. All right, I got to know who it is. Who is the X factor for the Boston Celtics in this series? Yeah, I actually picked it to be Jalen Brown because I think his defense against um, Bogdanovich is going to be big. And then I think his ability to give them extra offense. Jason Tatum has... He's finally started to snap out of his slump. He went through a pretty bad midseason slump, but he finally looks like he's coming out of it. That, But to have another guy, if you can get to a point where Jalen Brown is making a bunch of plays, and one of the things he really hurt the Pacers with was in transition in the regular season. He was able to really get out and run, beat them before you – before they can get their defense set. And that's going to be really important. You want to get there. And I think because you might see some cross matches – you're going to see Boston really push the ball. So I think Brown becomes that X factor in the series. Awesome. So, you know, Marcus Smart, it's obvious. He's an emotional leader, kind of almost the heart of the team. Is there someone that can really take over that role? Because it's not going to show up in the box score. But, I mean, Pacer fans are, not to say desperate, but hopeful that even Victor Oladipo's presence on the bench can boost the confidence of this team. Yeah, there there, there really isn't. Um, and I don't think anybody should try to replace Smart as the emotional leader of the team. Because anybody who tries it, it's going to feel forced. It's not going to feel like it, like it's a real thing. I think everybody just needs to, you know, to, to steal a, a quote from the, the other team there in New, the New England region, the Patriots, just do your job. 
You can't be Marcus Smart. Don't try to be him. Just do what you do. Do it to the best of your abilities, and everything should should be fine. So, you know, it, it's going to be tough. I would not be surprised to see him around. You know, he, he's the kind of guy who, if unless he's in a, too much pain to be on the bench, I think he'll be on the bench. He'll be you know, the one who's up there getting the crowd going. And, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if there's a point in game one or two where he's jumping around like an idiot and you're starting to be like, should should he be doing that? Maybe could he play? You know, um, that's just the kind of guy he is. You know, and, and because of that, you might see the team be like, "All right, you can watch, but you need to watch from the back, um, just so we can keep you a little under control." But yeah, it, it's just too hard. I think I think just everybody just needs to do what they do versus trying to be Marcus Smart. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. So Gordon Hayward has been playing really solid as of late, and he looked amazing last Friday against the Pacers when he went nine for nine from the field. Um, do you think that was more so just Hayward starting to come into his own here lately, or do you think that partially has to do with there's just nobody on that second unit that the Pacers can put up to guard him? Yeah, it, it's definitely both. I think Hayward, as you said, he has started to play really good basketball over the last, I want to call it about a month and a half now, because it was really uh, shortly after the All-Star break going into the beginning part of March. He was just really, it finally looked like he was just playing basketball. There was no worry about his leg. He wasn't worried about you know trying to fit in or anything like that. He was just doing his thing. And then you could really see it. I just pulled a bunch of clips for a piece that's going to go up uh, later tonight probably about as soon as we finish finish up here um hayward against doug mcdermott on the second unit it's not even a matchup he toasted mcdermott repeatedly in the last couple of games and and i would expect to see that be something the celtics continue to go to one thing brad stevens likes to do is he is not at all afraid of finding a mismatch and hunting it and then using it until you're forced to adjust and do something differently. So there, I would look for that to continue to be a big part of the game plan for the Celtics. Keith, I'm going to come out and I'm just going to ask it. Is there any way to stop Kyrie Irving at all? (laughs) (laughs) I Um, need to know. (laughs) I I think you can do a couple things against Kyrie to make life hard on him. Stop him. I just don't think the Pacers have that personnel. I think probably the better chance is Corey Joseph. I think he's the more physical defender, and you've got to be physical with him. Indiana is a lot like Boston in their defensive philosophy. They don't really like to trap. Um, they, they they would rather switch things or just play it straight up and fight through. Um, so, you know, may, maybe, right, the playoffs, we, I always like to say they're about adjustments and then adjustments to those adjustments. So maybe one of the things they do is run some traps at them. But it's so hard to ask a team to be something that they're not at this point in the year. So I think right at the end of that, what was it, the third game, when Boston won by two in Boston, they tried to run a trap at them and you could just see they don't they don't do that so they weren't able to pull it off it ended up really just making a mess of everything and Kyrie ended up with a layup to win a game which should really never happen in that that sort of situation so yeah I you know without sounding overconfident about it I just I I don't think that they've got the right personnel to really do much more than maybe make him work a little but I think I think this might be one of those series where Kyrie at the end is you know up in the 30s for points per game. No, you nailed it because the Pacers actually graded out as the second worst team in the NBA when it came to a trap. So I want to avoid that. So I I got no answers for this team. You explained it pretty well. Just you got to make Kyrie work for it. And I'm hoping the loss of Smart makes him work a little bit more on defense 
could potentially affect his offensive game as a result. Yeah, no, that's fair. And that's the other thing you want to do. I, I think what you want to do, especially when like Sabonis is in there, Sabonis sets those really good, hard screens. You know, may, maybe you might even throw Kyle Quinn in for a minute or two here and there. If for no other reason, beat him up right over the course of, you know, the next, you know, four, five, six, seven games, you know, make him have to work to to do things, beat him up. Then then Boston is just like the Pacers. They, they want to switch it, right? So they're, they're happy to switch. And I think the Pacers can do that. They can hunt that mismatch and go find him. The, the challenge becomes without smart. This is where things also really get out of whack is if that's what, what they did in, um, it was game four, the, they started with Smart on Bogdanovich, and Collison was starting to make some plays. Or it might have been Joseph, because then Collison yeah. was that game. So yeah. it might be game three I'm thinking of, actually. Um, but anyway, the Celtics switched Smart onto Collison, because it was game three. And then they put Kyrie on Wesley Matthews, who is you know, a far easier cover, because he's really a standstill shooter right. at this point. And then they, they played Bogdanovich straight up with Tatum, Brown, Hayward, whoever was in the game. Now that option isn't really there, so you can't really find a place to hide Kyrie. I would expect when he plays with Terry Rozier, Rozier will probably cover the, the point guard who's in the game, and they'll let Kyrie hang out on Matthews or Tyreek Evans or whoever it is that's you know a little, little less mobile of a guy. They may even, if Doug McDermott is in the game, put him on McDermott because I don't think McDermott is – he's certainly not going to put the ball on the floor and do very much, and he's just not at this point. He doesn't really go to the post. So they've got a couple of hiding spots, but he's going to have to hold his own against Collison at least with smart out. One of the things that I did see the Pacers do once I picked up Matthews is they did put him in the post when smaller guards tried to go up against him. So I, I think we saw it a few times against Kyrie. Probably didn't happen a lot, but I, I've suggested to some of the guys here on the podcast that I would love to see Wesley Matthews guard Kyrie because I don't think Collison is a good enough defender to stay in front of him and then play him off. And I was hoping to be Marcus Smart because you kind of want Marcus Smart to be an offensive threat, uh, if that makes sense, where you don't want – you know, you're fine with him taking threes and stuff, but now with Jalen Brown in the mix, do you think that they should just stay like matched up how they are by position, or do you like putting Matthews if you're the Pacers on Kyrie Irving? No, I do, and, and, and they definitely did that a little bit. It, well, it wasn't a ton. And but one of the things that creates for for um, for Boston, it creates those cross matches. I think when the, when they when you get cross match like that, that's why I think it's important for Boston to get out and push it in transition. They there's nobody in the Celtics lineup that will play major minutes other than Aaron Baines, who can't pull down a rebound and get out and run the floor and lead the break. And that's really important because what that does is that a lot you don't want to play the Pacers when their defense can get set that's when they're really good you know they, their transition defense is you know it's 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 a little questionable just because of them getting matched up part of it but but yeah so i i think it's it's worth a shot to put matthews on Kyrie. at least you know it's a bigger defender though that sometimes those guys do give him a little bit of trouble but i think what you'll see there is that's when you'll see if they put matthews on him celtics are going to go to a lot more of that spread pick and roll because that's how they like to free him up when he's got the the bigger and better defender on him when he's got somebody else or what they'll do is they'll go to a complete iso and as good as matthews is defensively he's a little older a little slower now i don't think he's gonna do great you know trying to guard Kyrie Celtics don't like to do that too much because that takes them out of the normal flow which flips me back to what you're saying about posting Matthews this goes all the way back to the Isaiah Thomas days for Boston they loved when teams tried to post Isaiah with guys who don't post up 
because uh-huh. go ahead. It's not something you do. Go ahead. You know, if you want to try something new and, you know, in the, the 80, you know, 83rd to 90th game, go ahead. We're, we're fine with that. Give it a shot because we feel comfortable. It's probably not going to work the way you want it to. And last year in the playoffs, Al Horford was someone who gave Joel Embiid fits. He looked like just the ultimate veteran, and he played very well in the two-point win over Indiana about two weeks back. How do you see that matchup shaking out against Miles Turner? Is that something that the Pacers can have the advantage on and, and really get some good play out of Miles Turner? Or do you think Al Horford's going to be able to handle that? Yeah, I think Horford is going to do do well. It helps that right game game one is on Sunday. Then there, then there's two days off. Then another game that that really helps Horford. There's you know never no back to backs in the playoffs. So you know unless he really ends up getting hurt, I think you're you the playoffs are tailor made for him at this point because that's where he struggles is in those back to backs, three and four nights, those kind of things. So I think I, I think he will have a good series against Turner. He just. You said it, he's a veteran. He knows how to play. So what he likes to do in those situations is he'll hang out around the perimeter, make Turner come out of the paint, which then opens that up for everybody else inside. They're okay. You know, Boston will actually play through Aaron Baines a little bit in the post and get him involved. And if Turner's not around, then then it's there. Ideally, what Boston would love to do is is get it to a point where then – then the Pacers have to switch it and they have to put Young on Horford because then Horford's going to go and live in the post because Young is, you know, he's, he's just not going to be able to hold up against Horford down there. And then that's where, you know, you let Horford really be the initiator of the offense, whether it's, you know, he either scoring himself or making plays for others. That's something the Celtics do a lot. All right, Keith, I think that's all the questions we have for you regarding, you know, the, uh, the nitpick stuff. But let's get down to it. Prediction time. Everybody loves predictions. Who do you got? Man, I hate, you know, and I say this with all sincerity, despite being a guy who covers the Celtic, I wish Victor Oladipo was there right now. If oh, he was, so do we. Just, <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, I'm not telling you guys anything. And if he was, this wouldn't even be the series, right? Because they, they, mm-hmm. they, you know, Boston would be, maybe it'd be the four or five the other way, but I think Indiana probably would have been the three, you know, maybe even what a challenge for the two. But Without Victor Oladipo, I just even though Smart's not there, I just can't see the Pacers being able to score enough to get it done against the Celtics. I think in Game Four, the the Game Four, the most recent game, the one that kind of decided the the four or five tiebreaker, you saw the Celtics lock in defensively, and there just wasn't much Indiana could do that was with Smart on the floor without Smart on the floor. So I think the Celtics are going to get the series win, and unfortunately, I think it's going to be pretty short because I think for Boston. They're going to want to win this thing as quick as they can and then get it there. I have enough respect for the Pacers and how hard they play in the home court advantage that they have when they are at home that I'm going to give them a game. But I think it's going to be Celtics in five. Yeah, that's kind of how we were all leaning a little bit uh, towards the beginning before we found out the severity of the, the, the smart injury. And then I flipped and I said I'd rather see it. I think it can go seven. So, yeah, it's just interesting. It's probably a little bit of the fan of me hoping for a seven-game series just so it's a little bit longer of a season. But, yeah, I mean, it's just if you look at the talent, Celtics just have so much more to offer than the Pacers do. And like you said, we have no shot creator. You guys have, you know, probably the three best in the series with a Tatum, with a Brown, you know, those kind of guys that can just create their own shot where the Pacers just don't really have one. I mean, Collison is probably their best shot creator because Bojan is not great with the ball in his hands. So, yeah, I mean, totally understand that pick. I have no – Nothing bad to say about it. Fachi, you want to reboot it? My, 
my initial gut feeling was Celtics in six. My inner fan, when I heard that Marcus Smart news, I ran with it and I was saying seven. But you know what? It, it depends. If I wake up on the other side of the bed, maybe tomorrow I'll go back to six. So, <laughs> yeah, the only don't, the only reason I don't pick six is I just I don't. It's so hard to win on the road in the playoffs in a must-win game, in an elimination game. That's why you know I always lean towards if I'm going to pick the team and I feel really confident they're going to win the series, I pick them to win in five because I th- think you can get one early of the first four on the road. It's just very hard in an elimination game. But I'll tell you guys, with how inconsistent Boston has been this year, a seven-game series would not surprise me at all because they just – there's these times – and it could be – they look awesome games one through three and are dominating. And then games four through six, they look terrible. And then the entire city of Boston is in a panic because now all of a sudden we're in a game seven. No one expected. So not, not there's literally nothing that would surprise me with the Celtics team anymore this season. Yeah, I'm right there with you. That's I think that's kind of why we might be a little bit more optimistic than we probably should be just because the Celtics have been so inconsistent all season long. So, all right, Keith, where can we find you at on Twitter? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Keith Smith NBA K E I T H S M I T H N B A. I, you know, I tweet tweet a lot. I'll be tweeting a lot during the games. I'll be, uh, uh, I'm, I actually live in Orlando, so I'll be covering the Celtics Pacers series from afar, and then I'll be covering the Magic Raptors series, you know, in person when it switches here to Orlando for games three and four, and may, maybe beyond, probably not, but but we'll see. Um, so yes, yeah, so you can find me there a lot, and then just a lot of other general playoff thoughts as they go. But those will be the two series. I'll be your most in depth on. Awesome, man. We really appreciate you taking the time to come on and maybe throughout the series we'll have to have you back on again and kind of get a recap of what's what's going on. Yeah, for sure, guys, whenever you need me. All right, thanks, Keith. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.